0: And welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. So great to be with you again this week. This is still the month of May for us, and so we're continuing to honor our Blessed Mother Mary in this her special month. Uh, and we're continuing a conversation. Uh, related to devotion to the Blessed Mother, and we're going to bring in today, thanks to Frances uh, and the great research she did, um, St. Teresa of Avila's focus on devotion to the Blessed Mother, including the rosary, and some other things that we'll leave open for that conversation. Francis, how are you? Great to have you in back in studio today.
1: Thank you. It's always a joy to be here to have a conversation with you and to share our Carmelite spirituality. And, you know, um, I've thought at length about Teresa and the rosary, and... I've often wondered why we don't hear more explicit reference to that. So doing this research uh, was uh, a good thing for me to learn more, and I'm anxious to share what I found out.
0: Well, and it's so important for us to stay connected to our Carmelite uh, doctors. In the case of Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross, Teresa of Lisieux, the doctors of the church and the saints, who teach us and share so much wisdom with us. And, of course, um, we aren't doing that show today, Francis, although maybe that will be the next show we do, and that is why is it that Mary is the mother of our order? I know we've done some programming on that before, but we certainly could elaborate on that. Um, But it's important for us to realize what great devotion all of the Carmelite saints have to the Blessed Mother. And as we discussed last week, she is the very model of humility. She is the model for our journey of faith. And we do ourselves a disservice if we don't align ourselves very intimately with the Blessed Mother and let her guide us through our prayer journey. So we're going to talk about that again today with the specific focus on the rosary as one example and some other devotions. And we're going to set that example right now by beginning ourselves our conversation in prayer.
1: And, of course, I would like to choose the Hail Mary as a perfect uh, beginning. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.
0: Amen. Well, thank you, Francis.
1: You know, Mark, I had this question as I was thinking of St. Teresa of Avila and the Blessed Virgin Mary. I was like, you know, Teresa wrote an awful lot. Why didn't she write more on Mary? And so I was like, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, you know, what's the time frame here? Okay, Teresa's alive uh in the fallout of the Reformation, so we have tons of theologians that are writing, defending the church's stance, defending the church's uh, dogmatic
0: teaching, and yes, so forth. yeah.
1: And of course, we. So I'm like, all right, which which uh, which saints do we know during that time period um, that would have written on Mary? And and I have looked up some. One of them was Saint Peter Canisius, and he was actually responsible for adding the part of the Hail Mary prayer um, that goes, um, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. He added that to the prayer. He was um, very much into Marian devotion. And then there was St. Francis de Sales, who was a contemporary, St. Francis Xavier, St. Ignatius of Loyola, another contemporary, St. Peter of Alcantara. So all these great schooled theologians. So, you know, Teresa was writing on the thing. She didn't have anything written about. <laughs> so I think that's why. We see that um, there's no big uh, work on Mary from Teresa. However, um, as you read through her works, I was consulting the three collected works of St. Teresa of Avila that ICS Publications puts out, and her works are just laced with Mary through and through. She's always present in one way or another. So I want to touch on those a little bit today, but I want to start with the Virgin Mary um, and the Rosary because, you know, even from the time St. Teresa of Avila was a little girl, she loved the Virgin Mary. And her human mother, Beatrice, guided her on this path, which she continued all her life. We
0: well, you know, and beginning there is a good place because going back to your comment about the great theologians that were writing at this time, and what we're going to see in the conversation today. Teresa wrote from her personal experience. This was her intimate uh, familiarity with the Blessed Mother, both through the recitation of the rosary, her own readings of um, uh, you know, Mary's life and so forth, which we can glean from Scripture. Uh, but it was a very uh, sort of personal um, reflection on that intimate relationship and prayer unlike, and she even sort of gently, you know, uh, backhand some of the theologians to say, Hey, listen, we don't enter into these relationships by virtue uh, uh, of the use of the academic part of our nature. It is a, it is a personal relationship. And so it's important, as you pointed out, that it began with her own human mother.
1: Well, you know, I've often wondered about what place the rosary played in Teresa's life, because it doesn't say explicitly that they play, prayed it in community. So I one time asked a, um, a friar during one of our retreats, and, I, and he basically made me think that she prayed it individually. They didn't pray it in community at that time. Right?
0: Well, she doesn't she say, and you would know better than I, Francis, says, I suspect you know her writings better than I, I think she... Does say that she seldom or or almost never went to bed without reciting the rosary each night. Isn't that true? Well,
1: I'm. I don't know. Let's get into our right.
0: little,
1: uh, little presentation here. Let's our, our conversation. See what we can learn here. Um, I do understand, though, if they prayed it individually, that was part of their devotions, part of their mental prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it was popular to. P- pray the rosary in community in the monastery. So I would guess that it is um, individually that she did that. And I think she did probably uh, do it all the time because we know that the Discalced Carmelite nuns wore the Bridgantine rosary as part of their standard way of dressing. Now, that's the question. What's the Bridgintine Rosary? Because most people are familiar with a Dominican Rosary, which is five decades. But what is the Bridgintine Rosary?
0: Well, uh, thanks to the research that Francis helped uh, provide for our conversation today, this is, and many of you may be familiar with it, it's a six-decade rosary, sometimes called the Bridgintine um, it actually has three additional mysteries honoring the Blessed Mother, uh, one additional mystery for each set of five, six decades instead of the five, uh, and it is a traditional habit rosary for, as Francis said, the, the Discalced Carmelites, um, also a highly indulgenced chaplet. The seven pater beads honor the seven sorrows of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and 63 Ave Maria beads commemorate the 63 years that it is believed the Blessed Mother lived on the earth, before her assumption, of course. In addition, the Apostles' Creed is recited at the end of each decade as opposed to the Glory Be. Now, did you find this um, pamphlet, uh, or was this just in uh, the research that you did? Online research.
1: So St. Teresa of Jesus prayed the rosary each day. Uh, This is what was attributed to her, like you said. Mm -hmm. Um, And while she was traveling throughout Spain, she stayed in at least one Bridgantine monastery. And it is believed that it was from these nuns that she learned the sixth decade rosary, which was later adopted as the rosary to be worn as part of the discussed Carmelite habit. And then it would have a large medal of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, Um, in addition to the crucifix and sometimes just the medal alone that was found, um, you know, the crucifix from the Dominican rosary. Mm -hmm. um, With the Carmelites, only six of the 18 decades are worn. So they didn't have the really long ones that you see the Dominican's nun, you know, wearing. Um, So uh, I thought that was interesting. And then just a little side note here. uh, I'm just going to throw this in because this is interesting to know because the Brigantine Rosary is very popular in France, and now I know why. <laughs> because on the 25th of March in 1858, now this is way after Teresa lived, the Blessed Virgin Mary revealed herself to 14 year old Bernadette in Lourdes, France. So we know St. Bernadette. And in describing herself as the Immaculate Conception, confirmed her status as the new Eve. And of course, we realize that the book of Genesis records that the first Adam and Eve were created on the sixth day. So significantly, during the first apparition, Bernadette began praying her simple five-decade rosary. But Mary held and prayed the six-decade Brigantine rosary. And the faithful in that region of France, they have this tradition of praying the six-decade rosary in place of the usual five. And Our Lady's reference to this practice is confirmed by the fact that she's depicted on the Lord's statue as holding a six-decade rosary in the large um, statue there in Lourdes. And so in devotional terms, the extra decade, according to them, is to be recited on behalf of the souls in purgatory or in honor of the Immaculate Conception.
0: Now, you indicated that there are mysteries, though, associated with those um, that, that additional decade the, the sixth, as well, right?
1: Yeah, the sixth decade in each of the groups, there are mysteries associated. Uh, there's one... Different for the Discalced Carmelites from the Brigentine. I don't know what they did with the Luminous, because, of course, that was yeah. more contemporary, but I would imagine they filled in all the blocks.
0: I would say anything that we can do that increases our devotion to the Blessed Mother, increases the honor that we give her, uh, or for us as Carmelites, since the souls in Purgatory are, are a special devotion for us, um, interceding for the souls in Purgatory is probably a good thing. I think it's worth checking out the uh, the uh um, rosary, if uh, if our people can find it, and it may well be available in in um, um, you know Catholic bookstores across the country. Well, well, go ahead.
1: Saint Teresa of Avila says in the book of her life, in recalling her younger days, um, she said, "I sought out solitude to pray my devotions, <laughs> and they were many, especially the Rosary, to which my mother was very devoted." And she made us devoted to it, too. So we know from a very young age, which is the best time to learn, is from a very young age to keep it as part of your, your lifelong spiritual uh, battle and prayer. Uh, but later on, when Teresa was a nun uh, writing In the Way of Perfection, she brings up the rosary when discussing the joining of mental prayer to vocal prayer. So, Mark, tell us about that.
0: Yeah, I think this is a, a, a very important lesson that we can recover again and again and again if we talk about Teresa of Avila. And that is, Teresa is, as we know, a doctor of prayer. She's a master of prayer, considered by... Um, uh, all saints, I suspect, who were familiar with her um, as one of the great teachers of prayer. And for this very simple reason, Teresa was able to move from vocal prayer to mental prayer, in fact, advocated very strongly the use of mental prayer, that is, the use of the mind. To some extent, it may be the inclusion of imagery and so on and so forth, but it's primarily making sure that the mind is focused. We're not simply... Uttering the words or going through a process of recitation, uh, and i 've made this comment before i 've been in churches where, after mass, maybe the uh, a, s- a small select group might uh, join for the rosary and there 's a mixture of uh, sort of experiences in doing that i 've traveled all over the country and been able to attend mass in many different churches and um, you know some groups gather and it 's uh, obvious that they 're very devoutly praying the rosary they pray it slowly with intensity they have uh, reflections that they, they dwell on. In others, it's more a process simply of recitation. And so we have to be careful, uh, especially as we're advocating, uh, as Carmelites we would, a daily recitation of the rosary. We don't want it simply to be calm, as we've said, Francis, in the past. We don't want to simply say our prayers. We want to pray, pray our, our prayers. prayers. It's very important.
1: And I remember Father Farah, one of the Discalced friars, telling me, say what you mean and mean what you say in prayer (laughs) so well this is what saint Teresa said about joining the mental prayer to vocal prayer she said who can say that it is wrong when we begin to recite the hours or the rosary to consider whom we are going to speak with and who we are so as to know how to speak with him now i tell you sisters If before you begin your vocal prayer, you do the great deal that must be done in order to understand these two points well, you will be spending a good amount of time in mental prayer. Yes, indeed. For we must not approach a conversation with a prince as negligently as we do one with a farm worker. Or with some poor thing like ourselves, for whom any manner of dress is all right.
0: <laughs> yeah, so she's adamant about this, and again, it reminds me—I may have even said this last week or the week before Francis, when we began this series on the Blessed Mother uh, of Catherine of Siena, who said. Uh, as she approached prayer, she would refer to God, you are the one who is, I am the one who is not. And she was very adamant, as is Teresa Avila here, in sort of setting the context for prayer. And that is very important. You know, so often, we have a series of devotions, we want to get through them, it's admirable that we want to complete the various uh, commitments that we've made, but we have to make the most out of those individual prayer experiences. And in order to do that, we need to spend a little time, as Teresa is saying here, setting context for what it is that we're about to do, the conversation that we're about to engage in. And she's adamant that we be um, very aware of who it is that we're speaking to and what it is that we're about to say. You know, in another instance, Teresa tells us, again, quoting from that same text, "Once Once while I was holding the cross in my hand, for I had it on a rosary, she says, He, that is the Lord, took it from me and with His own hands He gave it back to me. It was made of four large stones, incomparably more precious than diamonds. There is no appropriate comparison for the supernatural things she says. A diamond seems to be something counterfeit and imperfect compared with the precious stones that are, she saw there. The representation of the five wounds was the, a, a very delicate workmanship Christ told me that from then on I would see the cross in exactly that way, and so it happened. For I did not see the wood from which it was made, but these stones from that point on. No one, however, saw this except for me.
1: Yeah, so she had a mystical cross on her rosary. Isn't that something? Well, you know, on another occasion, she wrote, One night, being so ill that I wanted to excuse myself from mental prayer, I took my rosary in order to occupy myself in vocal prayer. I tried not to recollect my intellect, even though externally I was recollected in the oratory. When the Lord desires, these devices are our little avail. I was doing this for only a short while when a spiritual rapture came upon me so forcefully that I had no power to... To resist it, so uh, we can see from these examples, you know, that she was using the rosary many many times, and um, but we don't see any reference to uh, a communal uh, rosary being prayed at that time.
0: Yeah, let's look a little bit more specifically about the Hail Mary prayer and what Teresa has to say specifically about that. Uh, From those criticizing uh, mental prayer came these words. The Our Father and the Hail Mary are sufficient, St. Teresa says. This last statement, sisters, I agree with. And indeed, they are sufficient. It is always good to base your prayer on prayers coming from the mouth of the Lord. No one will be able to take from you these books, that is, the Our Father and the Hail Mary. So she refers to them as books in and of themselves. Again, this... Uh, reference to the intellectual, um, you know, nature of our investigation of prayer and the Lord and intimacy with the Lord, she says, the books are actually the Our Father and the Hail Mary. And if you are eager, she says, to learn, you won't need anything else provided you are humble. And again, her uh, 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 emphasis on the need to enter prayer with a state of humility, a demeanor of humility.
1: And you remember that came at the time where, where people were telling her that, oh, those women, you women shouldn't be praying mental prayer. You know, right. that's beyond you. You just stick to the Our Father and Hail Mary. And yet she understood uh, very clearly how the Our Father and Hail Mary themselves could take you to a very elevated and even to a contemplative prayer. So, indeed, for a vocal prayer to be authentic, it does need to be joined to mental prayer and she exalts vocal prayer joined to mental prayer, stating that it may also lead one into perfect contemplation. I believe there was an instance of one nun who was praying that way and didn't realize she was having uh, a contemplative prayer experience, but Teresa was assured that she had. Well, from uh, The Way of Life, Teresa says, to recite the Our Father or the Hail Mary or whatever prayer you wish is vocal prayer when you recite it. But behold, what poor music you produce when you do this without mental prayer. Even the words will be poorly pronounced at times. In these two kinds of prayer, we can do something ourselves with the help of God. In the contemplation I now mentioned, we can do nothing His majesty is the one who does everything, for it is his work and above our nature. So she's basically encouraging us to make mental prayer while we're doing the vocal prayer to help us be predisposed for the contemplative prayer.
0: So somebody might ask, well, how do I begin praying the Our Father or the Hail Mary in the way that St. Teresa is discussing here? And there's more, obviously, which we'll share with you. But uh, I would offer this first, most immediate recommendation, and that is slow down. Slow down the recitation of any prayer, for that matter. And do, as she's indicating, think about what you're saying. When we say the Our Father, we could stop with just those two words, Our Father, and we could think about about the context of God is our Father. God loves us. God created us. God created the universe. God calls us to himself. We could engage in a mental uh, uh, sort of processing of all of that with nothing more than the two words that begin the prayer, the Our Father. And this is what Teresa's saying. She's not necessarily saying you know, go through mental gymnastics, but she's saying be aware of what you're saying. Recognize who you're speaking to. Recognize who you are that is speaking to the person you're speaking to. And put things in the proper context and that is what carries us through mental prayer and potentially even as she references here into a contemplative experience of the recitation of the our father and she continues to counsel us in the way where she says well what i ha- well what i now want to counsel you about i can even say teach you because as a mother she says having the offices of, of priors i am allowed to teach you is how you must pray vocally For it's only right that you should understand what you're saying. And because it can happen that those who are unable to think about God may also find long prayers tiring, I don't want to concern myself with those. But I will speak of those prayers we are obliged uh, as Christians to recite, again, the Our Father and the Hail Mary, so that people won't be able to say of us that we speak and don't understand what we're speaking about. "...unless we think it is enough for us to follow the practice in which we merely pronounce the words or that somehow that is efficient." I'm not concerned with whether this is sufficient or not. Learned men will explain the matter to those persons to whom God gives light to ask the question, and I'm not meddling with what uh, doesn't belong to our state. She's referring to her sisters and, again, those who may be uh, responsible for uh, the intellectual elaboration on the Our Father and its dogmatic teaching and so forth. She's not referring to that. She says, what I would like us to do, daughters, is refuse to be satisfied with merely pronouncing the words. For when I say I believe, it seems to me right that I should know and understand what it is that I believe. And when I say the Our Father, it will be an act of love to understand who this Father of ours is and who the Master is who taught us this prayer.
1: And to continue on that thought, in the beginning pages of her book of her foundations, um, thinking people wouldn't be reading it until after she had died, Teresa, ask all those who read it, In a particular way to please pray for, she says, I ask the reader to recite a Hail Mary out of love for him, the Lord, that it may help me to leave purgatory and reach the vision of Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit forever and ever Amen. And you know, Mark, you brought up about this commentary um, on the Our Father. The second half of the Way of Perfection is actually what Teresa did. Mm -hmm. She took the Our Father prayer and broke it down. She even spent a long time just on the word our from Our Father. (laughs) It was amazing. Um, But through that long commentary on the Prayer of Our Fathers, Teresa teaches us about how to pray vocally with perfection. And here's one thing that she says to us. Here you see, friends, what it means to pray vocally with perfection. It means that you be aware of and understand whom you are asking, who it is that is asking, and what you are asking for. When they tell you that it isn't good to practice any other kind of prayer than vocal prayer, do not be distressed. Read this very carefully. And what you do not understand about prayer, beseech the Lord to teach you, for no one can take vocal prayer from you. Or make you recite their our father hastily and without understanding it. If some person should take it from you or counsel you to give it up, do not believe him. Believe that he is a false prophet and consider that in these times of ours, you don't have to believe everybody. Even though there is nothing to fear from those who can counsel you now, we don't know what will come in the future.
0: And we know the first one who's going to attempt to make us give up prayer, vocal, mental, or otherwise, (laughs) is our ancient enemy, the devil. He is absolutely... Um, I'll say, hell-bent on trying to get us to stop praying. <laughs> and we need to um, fend ourselves, defend ourselves from that, uh, from that thought, from that fear, from that doubt that might be cast upon us. You know, we've talked so many times about how sometimes we can experience these periods of dryness in prayer. That is the time Teresa would say to us, go back to the basics and stay with your mental prayer. She also says, I have uh, thought about something, uh, saying something to you about how to recite the Hail Mary but I have been so lengthy that I have to let it go. It is enough, she says, for you to have this understanding, how to recite the Our Father well, in order to know how to recite all vocal prayers that you must recite.
1: Yeah, can you imagine if Teresa did write on that regarding the Hail Mary? You know, perhaps she would have written a couple pages of just the first two words, you know, Hail Mary, and what kind of address that was. You know, that that's the kind of address given to the elite, to the royalty. And then she probably would have spent another couple of pages on pondering what full of grace meant. And, and you know, our Blessed Mother was full. So, you know, the grace was given in advance before the incarnation. So it was the preparation, the grace prepared her for this great coming of the lord jesus incarnate and we could go on and on but um i wish she had written it but she didn't but but we can go in the same pattern that she did with the our father we
0: (laughs) could write it ourselves maybe as a form of our own prayer and preparation for prayer we could begin to write what each of the words of the hail mary mean to us well we're going to pick up on that theme when we come back but a reminder that you're listening to carmelite conversations on radio maria a christian voice in your home we'll be right back after a short break Welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian voice in your home. We are picking up on our conversation uh, and, in fact, the series that we're doing on the Blessed Mother and devotion to the Blessed Mother and so much that we can learn from her. Uh, we are going to turn back to uh, this conversation about uh, Mary's own life and actions. And Francis, pick up where we sort of left off before the break, if you would.
1: Well, we were talking about, you know, the meaning of the words in the Hail Mary. And when we think of the Blessed Mother, of course, we know, um, you know, the old saying goes, actions speak louder than words. So when we think of the Blessed Mother, um, her actions... Even, even though she has very few words spoken in Scripture, her actions speak louder than words. Her actions continue to teach us through all generations. An example of this would be in Teresa's uh, Meditations on the Song of Songs. Now, that's a, uh, something that she wrote that not a lot of people have read. where Teresa is commenting on the union between God and the soul. And, of course, it was most perfect with the Blessed Mother. Um, She refers to the actions of our Blessed Mother from which we learn deeply about her wisdom and her humility. And this is from Meditations um, number six. This is what she says. "O secrets of God. Here there is no more to do than surrender our intellects and reflect that they are of no avail when it comes to understanding the grandeurs of God. It is good to recall here how God acted with the Blessed Virgin, Our Lady. In spite of all her wisdom, she asked the angel, How can this be? But after he answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. She engaged in no further discussion. As one who had such great faith and wisdom, she understood at once that if these two intervened, there was nothing more to know or doubt. She did not act as do some learned men, whom the Lord does not lead by this mode of prayer, and who haven't begun in life of prayer. For they want to be so rational about things, and so precise in their understanding, that it doesn't seem anyone else but they, with their learning... Can understand the grandeurs of God
0: now why did she attribute that just to men, Francis to you?
1: Uh, Well, because they were the schooled ones, Mark That's right. you know the women weren't the educated ones in those days so. <laughs> but you know she, she's saying you know they get caught up in education ease you know in th- into their intellects, and she said, if she, only they would learn something from the humility of the blessed virgin Mary she and says, oh blessed lady, how perfectly we can apply to you what takes place between God and the bride, according to what is said in the song of Songs. and thus you can see daughters. In the office of Our Lady, which we recite each week, take note of that, um, how much in its antiphons and readings is taken from the Song of Songs?
0: Say something about that office in a minute because I think it's important. Maybe many of our listeners don't know what it is. The, the well, Office of the a, Blessed a, Virgin Mary. A, yeah,
1: yeah, you can talk about it. It
0: is the little office of the Blessed Virgin. You can find copies of it, again, in any um, uh, Catholic bookstore. You'll find them. And it is shorter than the Divine Office. Now, we in Carmel do the Divine Office, but you could also incorporate the little office of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, the prayers are shorter, and the reflections and so forth are not as lengthy as the Divine mm-hmm. Office. Um, it would take a little time, but you could absolutely incorporate it. And mm-hmm. she seems to be suggesting in that statement, Francis, that this is something they did at least once a week. Right. Though it is enough, as you can read uh, daily.
1: Well, you know what else was interesting in this <laughs> statement? Uh, you know, when we think about the um, uh, the annunciation, um, most people think it's just the Holy Spirit that overshadowed her. But in this statement, Teresa said, "As one who had such great faith and wisdom, she understood at once that if these two intervene, the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. will come upon you." And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So, I mean, she, she puts those as, as the Father, the power of the Most High, and the Holy Spirit. And others put that together. John of the Cross, I think, puts that together. But Teresa, I did note, she pulled that apart, which made me ponder that aspect a little bit further. So, um, you know, let's, let's just take a pause here and think of the importance of this action of the overshadowing. Of Mary. I mean, that can be a a moment to ponder in prayer at great length one may come to better appreciation of this from what St. John of the Cross said about this overshadowing. I'm going to let you explain that, Mark, from The Living Flame.
0: Yeah, he says, By what was said, and what we shall now say, it will be more plainly understood how excellent the splendors of these lamps are, for by another name they are called overshadowings. This is the reference to the lamps in, uh, as Francis mentioned, The Living Flame 312. To understand this expression, St. John of the Cross writes, it should be known that an overshadowing is the equivalent of a casting of a shadow. A casting of a shadow is similar to protecting, favoring, granting grace, as we recall from um, the letters in the New Testament, that Peter's shadow cast over a sick person could heal that person. (laughs) Yeah, good point. For when a person is covered by a shadow, it is a sign that someone else is nearby to protect and grant favor. As a result, the angel Gabriel called the conception of the Son of God that favor granted to the Virgin Mary, an overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will, in fact, overshadow you. That's from Luke one thirty-five.
1: Well, Teresa gives us even more insight about this mystery of the Incarnation and our Blessed Mother. When teaching us about detachment and humility, and this is in the Way of Perfection, chapter 16, Teresa writes that these two virtues, detachment and humility, always go together. Humility drew the king from heaven to the womb of the virgin. And with it, by one hair, when she's referring to the Song of Songs, we will draw him to our souls. This reminds me of the saying, you know, humility trumps the king. Mm. And continuing about this humility of the Blessed Mother, she says, Let us, my daughters, imitate in some way the great humility of the Blessed Virgin, whose habit we wear. For it's embarrassing to call ourselves her nuns. However much it seems to us that we humble ourselves, we fall short of being the daughters of such a mother and the brides of such a spouse.
0: Well, taking all this back to where we began our conversation, and that is the emphasis in Teresa's life on the rosary and the mysteries of the rosary, Um, we know from her personal experience, her great devotion to uh, the crucified Christ, it was what really led to her sort of reconversion. And she especially pondered the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary. Teresa encourages us, in fact, to pick up Uh, Our cross, she points to those who stood at the foot of the cross when she says this, but how much the glorious virgin and this blessed saint, she's referring to St. Mary Magdalene, of course, must have suffered. How many threats, how many wicked words, how much shoving about and rudeness for the people around them were not exactly what we would call courteous. No, they were people from hell, ministers of the devil. Indeed, what these two suffered, Mary and Mary Magdalene, must have been terrible, But in the presence of another great affliction, they didn't feel their own. And you see, she's giving us an example here of how she might have used the mysteries of the rosary, in this case, the sorrowful mysteries, not just to focus on Christ uh, in the midst of his crucifixion uh, on the cross and so forth. But what about the the individuals around him who, of course, um, had great uh, love and affection and and compassion for him? What are they experiencing? And Teresa is asking us, inviting us in her own, perhaps, mental meditation on the rosary to enter into the hearts and minds of those who would have been experiencing uh, the crucifixion from... Uh, from, um, uh, you know, the the top of Mount Calvary, witnessing Christ going through that.
1: And she points out a very uh, important thing for us, though, here, when she's talking about um, the Blessed Mother and Mary Magdalene and their suffering. She says, but in the presence of another greater affliction, they didn't feel their own. And that is a great indicator of our love, that we have no concern for our own affliction when seeing before our spiritual eyes the afflictions of our Lord Jesus Christ."
0: And all the great saints tell us to uh, focus on uh, the, the, uh, the passion of our Lord. It is perhaps, uh, um, you know, the best source of both consolation and strength in the midst of our own trials, not just as St. As, uh, Teresa is pointing out here, so that we can feel compassion for the Lord, but to realize what it is that the Lord uh, went through, and it should give us strength and courage to uh, carry our own crosses and continue on in the midst of our trials.
1: Now You know, often in prayer, there's a lot of consolations, but often there's a lot of dryness. Um, And, of course, uh, many people were caught up in meriting uh, graces or meriting favors. Uh, So um, one day, the Lord told St. Teresa, Do you think, daughter, that merit lies in enjoyment? No, rather it lies in working and suffering and loving. When you see my mother... Holding me in her arms. Don't think she enjoyed those consolations without heavy torment. From the time Simeon spoke those words to her, my Father gave her clear light to see what I was to suffer. So you can just take that and ponder that. Those words of our Lord to St. Teresa about the Blessed Virgin Mary. And, and it will take you into deeper prayer.
0: But there is consolation even in that. In her spiritual testimonies, number 12, in fact, Teresa tells us, Immediately after his resurrection, he, the Lord, went to see Our Lady, because she then had great need, and that the pain she had experienced so absorbed and transpierced her soul that she did not return immediately to herself to rejoice in that joy. And we can imagine the Blessed Mother may have been in a state of shock. What mm-hmm. we would uh, characterize today as a is a, a medical condition known as a state of shock. By this I understand how different was the other transpiercing the one of my soul. But what must have been that transpiercing of the Blessed Virgin's soul? He also said that he had remained a long time with her because it was necessary in order to console her. And later on, Teresa tells us about our Blessed Mother's ascension into heaven. When she writes, He showed me, the Lord, his mother's ascent to heaven, the happiness and solemnity with which she was received, and the place where she is. The glory my spirit experienced in seeing so much glory was magnificent. The effects of this favor were great. I was helped in having a deeper desire to undergo difficult trials, and I was left with a longing to serve Our Lady, since she deserved this so much.
1: So we can see from all these experiences thus far that we have pointed out, uh, we can see how we also are called to live the mysteries of Christ and live the mysteries of his mother as we journey onward, intending toward perfection, answering God's call. In fact, I just want to let you know that uh, a great book to use to ponder uh, the words of our Lord to Teresa and some of her quotes and the things that she says about Mary, Um, you can find this book. It's a little book, Sermon in a Sentence. Treasury of Quotations on the Spiritual Life. It's volume four. It's on St. Teresa of Avila. And it takes the mysteries of the rosary and um, some of the virtues and puts them together. It's really very nice to pray with, so I want to recommend that to you. So now we're going to turn to when Teresa... uh, began founding the first monastery of St. Joseph's. You'll remember that when our Lord was encouraging her to found this monastery, he said, you know, you're going to name it St. Joseph's. And St. Joseph's going to be at one door, and at the other door the Blessed Mother will be. So I like to think in our community that meets once a month, that you know, Joseph and Mary are there at each of the doors, you know, watching over us and helping us in our meeting. And anyway, so when she was founding this first monastery, she said that the main reason the Lord brought them together was to help remedy the great evils by, and of course she's remembering all this in the Reformation, um, by being the kind of persons who prayers can be useful in helping those servants of God. So obedience to the rule was paramount, just as it is today. And Teresa said, I would consider well worthwhile the trials I have suffered in order to found this little corner where I have also sought that this rule of our Lady and Empress, she she always uh, referred to our Lord and our Lady in those majestic terms, His Majesty. Now here, our Lady and Empress, uh, that this rule be observed with the perfection with which it was observed when initiated.
0: In founding these new monasteries, in fact, we learn the importance that Teresa gave to holy images and statues, very Carmelite. Uh, in her letters, in fact, we read of several people who sent her statues. Of course, uh, those of the Blessed Mother were necessary for all of the monasteries. Uh, but even at an early age, when St. Teresa's own mother died, she turned to the Blessed Virgin Mary uh, in the form of an image. She references this in her life. When she writes, I remember that when my mother died, I was twelve years old, or a little less, when I began to understand what I had lost, I went afflicted before an image of Our Lady, and besought her with many tears to be my mother. It seems to me that although I did this in simplicity, it helped me, for I have found favor with this sovereign Virgin in everything I have asked of her, and in the end she has drawn me to herself.
1: And that reminds me of St. John the Cross writing on Draw Me and St. Therese of Lisieux writing on Draw Me. Draw Me is a great prayer. (laughs) Well,
0: Well, and how many other saints do we know about? Um, I'll I'll just reference uh, Pope St. John Paul II, who, upon the death of his own mother, went to uh, the church in and and sought the Blessed Mother, Uh, And asked her, in fact, as his father had instructed to be his own mother and all of us, whether we've lost our mother or not, the Blessed Mother is still our first and, and, uh, um, you know, spiritual mother. And we need to turn to her and we need to rely on her in exactly the same way we would rely on the most faithful mother.
1: Well, the image that she went to at age 12 was called Our Lady of Charity, and it was venerated in the hermitage of St. Lazarus, and that was outside the walls of the city. Uh, but after the destruction of that hermitage in the 19th century, the statue was moved to the cathedral where it is venerated today. So he, from this, we can infer Teresa's recognition of Our Lady's special favor and protection and help in conversion. And she continues this affinity to images and statues as aids to her conversational prayer. And what she says about the image of our Lord Equally applies, of course, to the image of Our Lady. In the way of perfection, she writes, "...what you can do as a help in this matter is try to carry about an image or painting of this Lord that is to your liking. Not so as to carry it about on your heart and never look at it, but so as to speak often with Him. For He will inspire you with what to say. Since you speak with other persons, why must words fail you more when you speak with God?" Don't believe they will. At least I will not believe they will if you acquire the habit. Otherwise, the failure to communicate with a person causes both estrangement and a failure to know how to speak with him. For it seems then that we don't know him, even if he may be a relative. Family ties and friendship are lost through a lack of communication.
0: Yeah, so how important is it to sustain the relationships in our life? You know, if we have a... Um, a spouse or a child or a parent or a good friend? Uh, how long are we willing to go without having any conversation, any communication or any intimate exchange with that person? And Teresa is telling us the same thing here. How and, could we expect to further our relationship with God if we're not in communication with him?
1: And when we're apart from our loved ones, don't we want to have a picture to look at them, to remember, to, you know, be thinking of them. So oh, see, images and, uh, uh, statues, they're, they're very important. And, you know, in June of 1575, when Teresa asked to have um, someone send her a statue of painting of Our Lady, uh, she was asking in specifically for the foundation in Seville. Uh, and, and, of course, this reminds me of the famous story of the statue of Our Lady of Clemency. Now, people may not realize that was the title of the statue, but this was the one that Teresa, when she was uh, uh, elected as the... Um, Prioress, and many of the nuns in the Incarnation were upset, <laughs> and Teresa's trying to settle things down. So she puts a statue of Our Lady, Our Lady of Clemency, in the prioress's chair to signify to the nuns that she was entrusting the rule of the monastery to the Blessed Virgin Mary. So I'm going to let you uh, read that famous story for us.
0: Well, from the testimonies, uh, she writes, On the eve of the Feast of St. Sebastian, the first year in which I was Prioress at the Incarnation, At the beginning of the Salve Regina, I saw the Mother of God descend with a great multitude of angels and sit in the priors' choir stall where there was a statue of Our Lady. In my opinion, I didn't then see the statue, but Our Lady herself— It seemed to me she looked something like she does in the painting that uh, a particular countess had given St. Teresa. Although the power to discern this was quickly taken away, for my faculties were soon held in great suspension. It seemed to me there were angels above the canopies of the stalls and back and above the front stalls, although they were not in corporeal form, for this was an intellectual vision. She remained for the whole of the salve, and she told me, You were indeed right in placing me here. I shall be present in the praises they give my son, and I shall offer him pra- offer these praises to him. After this, I remained in the kind of prayer I now have, that of keeping my soul present with the Blessed Trinity. And it seemed to me that the person of the Father drew me to himself and spoke very pleasant words among them, while showing me what he <clears throat> wanted, he told me, I gave you my son and the Holy Spirit and this Blessed Virgin what can you give me?
1: (laughs) Now, how would you answer that question? (laughs) I know Teresa wrote um, the famous, I was born for you. What do you want of me? (laughs) So um, that is something for us to ponder in prayer. What does God want of you? What can you give the Lord? So uh, Teresa's affection for statues is is shown clearly through many of her letters, where she One of them, uh, she wrote, It's no small thing for me to have to give up so soon the statue of Our Lady. (laughs) Um, I will feel extremely lonely without it. So in charity, you can provide a remedy for me by sending the one you were going to give me for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) She's (laughs)
0: she's writing that in a letter. I don't know who that was written to, but it was from Toledo in uh, 1576. We can also point to two mystical experiences that uh, Teresa had connected with the first words of the Blessed Virgin Mary's, the Magnificat. Now, we did Um, uh, uh, sort of an elaboration of the Magnificent Prayer last week. You recall, Francis, where we talked about each of the verses. But in this case, in which she was infused with a special understanding of some of these verses, uh, Teresa had, as I say, these mystical experiences. Again, from her testimonies, While in prayer one day, I felt my soul to be so deep in God that it didn't seem there was a world. But while immersed in him, understanding that Magnificent Verse, my spirit rejoices, was given to me in such a way that I cannot forget it.
1: And again, in Testimonies number 25, when the Lord is explaining to Teresa the nature of union to him, Teresa tells us, I was experiencing a lofty elevation of the spirit when I heard those words. The Lord gave me understanding of what spirit was and in what state my soul then was and how to understand the words of the Magnificat. My spirit rejoices from Luke 147. I wouldn't know how to describe this experience. It seems to me I was given an understanding that the spirit is the high, higher part. Of the will.
0: You know, this goes back to what she said about the approach of uh, our prayer life with strictly intellectual faculties or attempting to um, use mental prayer or uh, our own ability for discerning to encounter the living God. And what we're saying is that in Teresa's case, it was availing herself in humility, in detachment, um, a willingness to uh, uh dispose herself to the Father's will. That brought her to these higher states of contemplation and to some of these mystical experiences. She wasn't trying to get there intellectually. She shares it with us, but she wasn't trying to find her way to the Lord. She was simply disposing herself. Teresa also wrote about the renewal of her own religious vows in the hands of Our Lady. In her spiritual testimony, 43, she says, On the feast of the Nativity of Our Lady, I feel special joy. When this day comes, I think it's good to renew my vows. And once, while I was about to do so, the Blessed Virgin, Our Lady, appeared to me through an illuminative vision, and it seems to me I renewed them in her hands, and that day, uh, and that they were pleasing to her. This vision remained with me for some days as though she were next to me at my left, Teresa writes.
1: It's interesting how she always puts the Blessed Mother on her left and Jesus on her right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we can do that too, right? <laughs> Wake up in the morning, grab the hand of, of Jesus on the right hand, and the left hand grab Mary's. You know, St. Teresa of Avila's devotion to Mary can also be seen, of course, in times of suffering when she turned to her. In speaking of times when a soul falls and the mercy of the Lord offers his hand to raise up the soul, St. Teresa counsels what the soul does. Here it becomes a devotee of the Queen of Heaven so that she might appease you. Here it invokes the help of the saints that fell after having been called by you. You know, overall, we hear St. Teresa speaking to us today with the words that she spoke to her own daughters. You have such a good mother. Imitate her and reflect that the grandeur of Our Lady and the good of having her for your patroness must indeed be great.
0: Yeah, and I think what we'd like to encourage our listeners today, Francis, to do is uh, respond in exactly the same way that St. Teresa is encouraging us. We were happy to be able to serve in some way our Mother, Our Lady, our patroness. And there are some very simple ways that we'd like to recommend as a practical uh, um, series of steps that you might uh, take uh, to grow closer to Mary. First of all, we would simply say, ask Mary for the grace to grow closer to her so that she can lead you swiftly and confidently toward Jesus.
1: Well, and of course, we can talk with Mary. That's praying to her, Um, praying through her. Before you pick up the phone to call someone or before you post on Facebook or text someone or, you know, take a brief moment to talk with Mary about your concerns, your joys, your activities, or whatever the matter is at hand.
0: Spend time with Mary, not just in prayer, although we certainly encourage that, but before an image of her, a statue of her. Start a routine of addressing Mary before you even go to bed. Uh, or getting out of bed in the morning. Pray the Angelus at 6 a.m., noon, 6 p.m. as a way to unite your day to her and her prayers for the church. Take a coffee break with Mary. Pray a decade of the rosary. You don't have to pray the whole rosary if you only have a short time. I do this at work sometimes. I will step outside and just start walking down the sidewalk, pull my rosary out of my pocket, pray a decade, go back to work. It's a great way to stay connected to her.
1: And if you cannot pray... Ask her to pray in your place. (laughs) That's a very good one. And, of course, read about Mary. Pick up a book on the life of Mary and begin to know her even better. And... Um, Of course, we recommend making a consecration to Mary, an act of consecration. I recommend Father Gately's 33 Days to Morning Glory as a beautiful contemporary setting of a consecration to Mary.
0: Yeah, and this is not a one-time thing. We encourage our listeners to do this once a year. Make that consecration once a year to the Blessed Mother. She certainly won't be offended if she keeps hearing from us.
1: Well, I hope we have learned a little bit more about Teresa of Avila's devotion to Mary and the little snippets that show how uh, she has really put her at the center of her life uh, in allegiance to Jesus Christ. Mary is pointing the way to our Lord, and Teresa's is always uh, thinking of her and asking for her help. And so I think it would be appropriate for us, as in the Bridgertine Rosary and in the Dominican Rosary, to close with the Hail Holy Queen. Would you do that for us, Mark?
0: I would love to. Thank you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, O most gracious Advocate, thine eyes of mercy toward us, and after this, our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary, Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, we uh, thank you for spending this time with us in this conversation that Francis and I so much enjoy. I don't think there's a topic we enjoy talking about more than the Blessed Mother, Francis. I think that's a safe uh, comment, and our historical programs would seem to suggest and support that. Uh, But we wish you the very um, best of blessings through the balance of this month of May when we're making these broadcasts. And we encourage you to spend some time in this month to get closer to our Blessed Mother and Find out just how important she will be to your spiritual journey. Until we're with you again next week, God bless.